You are now tuned in to the True Say Podcast, unpacking age-old questions and concepts we reflexively ignore. In this podcast, we're going to revisit topics to help make the critical connections you may have overlooked. Think Quentin Tarantino meets 60 Minutes, where we start at the end and finish at the beginning. Except, in this podcast, we only need 43. I am your host, True Say. Join me as I provide you with a modern perspective. Let's get started. Actually, before we unpack today's topic, I wanted to take a quick moment to thank my sponsors at Bean Bundle, Canada's newest coffee subscription. It's been great. Ever since I stumbled on this service, I've been able to put my mocha pot to good use with beans they sent me from legitimate roasters across the country. Bean Bundle makes it so easy for people like me who are trying to find their particular roast but don't know where to start. The process is super quick. Just visit beanbundle.com, choose the amount of coffee you want on a monthly basis, medium roast, dark roast, whatever your flavor, and they ship you different beans from their latest roster of roasters on a monthly basis. Best part about being from the sixth side is if you live in Canada, they ship to you absolutely free. And if you sign up using code TRUESAY25, you'll save 25% off your subscription. Now, if you've been rocking with the True Save podcast, listen for your cue to get your hot brew provided by Bean Bundle ready, and let's get into it. What time is it? Oh, you already know what time it is. It's time for another True Save Thursday. Welcome back, one and all. We are now in the 22nd edition of the True Save podcast. Can I get a round of applause? Thank you, thank you, thank you. I want to shout out my my you know my lovely wife. I want to shout out Mrs. True Say for supporting me through. <laughs> welcome back, welcome back, True Sayers. Um, I'm sure you saw the title. Um, interestingly enough, it doesn't really come across as an age old question, and that was done purposefully. We're gonna wrap around kind of to what the critical connection we're hopefully gonna make in this edition, but. Just for shock value, I decided to go with a bit more of a provocative title. Should sugar babies qualify for unemployment insurance? Now, the reason why we're going to talk about sugar babies is not going to solely focus on those who, for lack of a better term, use their feminine wiles or use their physical attraction to secure funds from older, elderly sugar daddies, quote unquote. We're going to more or less speak to the idea that many people are nowadays occupying non-traditional forms of employment and why is it that there seems to be this problem with society whereas we feel not we and i'm not speaking for myself but a large swath of the population does not necessarily appreciate folks who are operating in in a non-traditional economy so what we're going to more or less look at is the idea of privilege um, the idea of entitlement and then we're going to also look at this, what I like to call transitionary or transitory type um, e- economy where we have people in, you know, Viners, YouTubers, TikTokers, etc. Folks who have turned their Vine or YouTube channels or TikToks or Instagram videos into uh, comedy videos, skit, sketch comedy, skits, etc. And how many people are always cool to be there for you know along the ride we don't mind seeing them get a little bit of 
you know, a virality or, or getting some recognition. But once we start to see them living off the avails of this quote unquote non-traditional lifestyle, we then no longer care when we see their downfall. So this kind of ties right back to the idea of sugar babies. Should they, you know, qualify for unemployment? Because funny enough, I was reading an article and somebody was at least had the idea or had the motivation to identify sugar babying as a career and said that it's not all that's that it, you know it's not all that it's purported to be it's there's there's four things that people get wrong about the job and when i read that headline i was like wow there are people out there who consider being a sugar baby a job so then the corollary of that thinking, obviously, that must extend now to, well, if it's a job and you're no longer able to do your job or are laid off or, you know, are involuntarily unemployed, does that mean that somebody who's sugar baby should be should qualify for unemployment? Right. And then the same thing could be said to people on YouTube or Viners or TikTokers. I mean, essentially, this is a form or a means of them procuring or acquiring an income. Right. It's a form of employment in a sense. They are being, there's a transaction happening. They're, they're providing a service. They're receiving money they're, or they're, they're showing up on a regular scheduled time and, you know, dedicated themselves to perform, however you want to take that word, and literally are getting, you know, in return compensated. So based on that logic, they're employed and there's an employer or a funder and they are recipients of said funds. So when their service is not up to par, when they're they're let go, should they then qualify for unemployment? So I'm reading this article about this sugar baby. And, you know, just to make sure we can ground the conversation, a sugar baby is someone who is not necessarily selling sex, but is someone who is providing the comfort of their time and providing their the providing personal comfort to someone, whether in the form of their time, um, friendship conversation uh, you know going on outdoor pursuits in tandem or with one another so really and truly just two people spending quality time together just to be sure i don't know i'm rambling two people spending quality time together however they however they decide to spend that time is up to those two but long story short this sugar baby went on to say that it's not all just about this transaction of physical intercourse it's not that this sugar baby went on to say and, and i think it's it's interesting because I'm going to consistently refer to this person as a sugar baby without breaking down who or or what they were. They were identifying this relationship being more than just a transaction of sex. It involves emotional um, intelligence. It involves an ability to have a plan and an understanding of what the rate you should be able to prescribe for different types of activities you're engaging with. And on top of that, it's also something that re requires a certain level of compartmentalization because when you're when you're living or I guess you can say employed as a sugar baby, you need to be able to understand what it means to separate your personal life from your your day to day life as a sugar baby. So in other words, you need to have work life balance, quote unquote. And it was really interesting to me that they identified this as a what was the word not not a requirement something an, a consideration one needs to make when they've decided to actively engage in the sugar baby lifestyle or the sugar baby vocation okay so i'm reading this article i'm getting a sense of this person's breakdown of once again what are the premiums you charge for this kind of for the different experiences 
what are the th- what are the luxuries you need not get used to? How are you planning on translating the money you're making from this this vocation into something that can support you long term? Um, how are you able to differentiate between these expensive gifts and and how how are these going to basically be? a gift that is an exchange for service or a gift that's just supposed to be for you to keep. There's a variety of different things that these people need to actually consider. And it shouldn't come to a surprise that they are stigmatized for this lifestyle naturally, right? So I'm reading this article and I'm I'm coming to realize that this person looks at this lifestyle or this vocation as a means of employment. Because what they've done is they've taken the gifts, they've taken the, the, the money or any type of Uh, compensation they've received for their time and they used it to essentially help them pay for their grad school or pay for their living or whatever the case may be so then my mind started to go down this wormhole now where i'm thinking well you know foreseeably if this person's receiving they're they're not unemployed right they're not they're in the job market in some respects it's just not a recognized job market by the economy there's no the barrier to entry is very very low Right. There's no type of there's no type of what would you refer to it? Uh, resume. Well, actually, there is. There's no type of uh, HR. There's no infrastructure technically around it. But for for sake of argument, it is a, a form of employment, so to speak. Now, where did the stigma come from is uh, not really a question, because I think we all have a pretty common understanding of why these these vocations these these ways of earning money are stigmatized what i think is interesting more so is how what actually led to this kind of like this 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 seeking out these types of vocations so i was like okay we live in the world where you no longer have to worry about earning an income by going and picking up your hard hat carrying your lunch pail to a factory digging for coal or mining for gold whatever the case may be you can literally Take your phone out of your pocket, press a button or tap a screen, go on some type of platform that broadcasts you live, and voila, you're earning money. So it's not beyond people to be underneath the frame or scope that there's no more barriers to entry. There's no more hardship or um, process or due diligence or discourse, whatever the case may be, that one person needs to go through in order to... A, a certain vocation, a certain job, a certain place in the economy, a certain place in the corporate ladder, right? So it's not new, at least in modern day, for people to not, you know, this behavior of earning money quickly, not having to put in the hard work or having to go and, you know, serve your, do your time of schooling and training to get somewhere. You can literally make money in, in almost an instant at the drop of a hat, really. So why are we so upset or why are there so many people who find and stigmatize this behavior of sugar babying, right? It's, it's, it's the same thing as Vine to me. It's the same thing as YouTube. You're literally selling yourself. They call it YouTube for a reason. So sugar babies do the exact same thing. You know, they're out there. They're selling themselves. They're doing it on their, of their own volition. They're getting a lot of money for it. And, you know, nine times out of 10, it's a very short-lived career. So you can make a large sum of money in a quick period of time. And if you're smart, you'll find a way to reinvest it or to distribute it accordingly and be able to you know, survive as long as you can. But so many people find problem with it. Now, you know, taking away the morality of it all, I, when you get down to its core, 
the, uh, there's a, a variety of ways that people, in, that's, in essence, exchange their time for money. When you, when you break it down, that's all we as human beings do. We exchange our time for money. What we do with that time now is where the difference lies. Now, sugar babies, some of them are just spending time, you know, spending time taking trips. They're nothing more than arm candy. It's the equivalent of being a model and taking photos on a magazine. What's the difference? I find that many people are stigmatizing behavior because it boils down to this whole level of privilege. And that's kind of what I mentioned earlier. You know, what's the what led to this seeking out of these vocations? Right. It's this whole privilege slash entitlement slash these un unwarranted expectations that folks have been taught to have for their lives. So really and truly, I think the stigmatization of this role or this vocation and the reason why many people would disagree with them actually being or qualifying for unemployment insurance is because they don't think it's a work. They don't think it's a vocation. When when you ask me, if you ever told me I had to go in and put and feign a smile and be happy and spend time with somebody I could care less about, that's a lot of work for me. Like, there's no way I'd be able to go and get dolled up to go and see somebody I have no idea, no care of even knowing, and spend hours of my time, which I can't get back, in order to in order to keep them happy, whatever the case may be, to then get gifts or like that's that's a lot of work. I have no interest in doing that. But there are tons of people who who prefer to be a sugar baby and choose to do that themselves, right? There's that in itself is already a a rate not a rate limiter, but a, a distinct a distinguisher or, or a filter that weeds out folks who are not capable or qualified to do this line of work. So there's that. There's also the fact that not everybody can be a sugar baby, and even those there's different tiers to it, right? There's some people who are your neighborhood sugar baby who just have the random tegareg or random person who's just there to kind of occupy your time and is willing to throw you some cash for your for your time. And then there's other sugar babies who are able to get private jets and take pictures. There's a there's an article, I shouldn't say an article, but there's an individual who just a billionaire who owns a number of property. I can't remember what he did, but long story short, he fell in love with his sugar baby who he had given uh, a veils galore. And when the sugar baby no longer wanted to reciprocate that level of affection for him, he was absolutely upset. He did everything he could to break it off and was trying to sue her and reprimand her for all these things such as, you know, just not reciprocating his love. And when you boil it down, she is now unemployed, right? She's that sugar daddy is no longer interested in employing her. So that my question becomes, should she get unemployment insurance? I don't know. <laughs> so I just had to start off with, a, you know, it's let's not focus on that joke. It's more of a joke. And it's really just supposed to get you guys engaged because the real question really becomes, you know, for individuals who are privileged and who, who are able to walk into comfort and luxury and lifestyle, you know, where does that come from? Right. And I think it's really interesting because usually people who walk into this life of low barrier, easy access, um, you know, high reward, high risk, etc. I think a lot of the time they're the same people who are given things pretty easily at a young age. You know, they don't really have the resilience built into them. They're, they're not not to say they're afraid of hard work, but the the idea of hard work is off putting, nor are they really that patient and aren't they're not really able, I think, to more or less dedicate themselves to a level of servitude to the or, you know, really diligent with the active, the active um, engagement with practice and training and studying and skill building. 
a lot of the people who I think are seek out the YouTubes, who seek out the Vine, who seek out the TikTok, who seek out being sugar babies, they are coming equipped with skills, with physical appearance, with characteristics, with attributes that they already have day one. They didn't do anything in particular to develop them. Like they come as they are, and for some, as they are is great, and for some, as they are is okay, and depending on which avenue they feel they can make the most bang for their physical attributes or the most bang for who they are in that current moment is what they pursue. Now, don't get me wrong. Not everybody who chooses to be a sugar baby is in it because they don't really think they need to do anything to improve. There are many people who get in the door and then realize that they want this, this vocation or lifestyle to last. They need to continue to improve themselves. There are many Viners who become better, or I should say Viners, rest in peace, Vine. Many TikTokers or people who use Instagram videos or Reels or social media as their main platform for earning money, who realize as they continue in this platform, as they continue in this vocation, they need to keep on putting in the energy to get what they need to get to. But we're talking about specifically those folks who feel entitled or privileged just because they can make a joke once or twice and make people laugh or just because they're good looking. They think that because they were gifted with this skill or attribute, they should be rewarded and paid for it. Now, my question becomes, were these the young people who were privileged from an early age? Like I think back to my life or even lives of people who I've met. And there used to be a period in time where I had to wait and be patient before I got before I got the items I really wanted, whether it be as a young kid who didn't have any any income, who didn't earn any money. So when it came down to receiving the toy I wanted or the new gaming console I wanted to play with, I would have to wait until a particular anniversary, being a birthday or think about a big holiday like Christmas or Easter or whatever the case may be, where my parents with the good out of the goodness of their hearts would take their hard earned dollar and gift me with said item, right? There used to always be a period of time where I had to wait. And then when I would receive that item, it would either come with a message of saying where that item came from, how hard they worked to get it, how you're not, you know, this is not something we're giving to you as a gift, not, you know, you having this as a privilege, not a, not a, not a right, so to speak. So there was always these mess this messaging, these lessons, this understanding that, you know, money doesn't grow on trees, nor do you just get things because of your existence. You need to do your chores. You need to be a good son. You need to be a good person in order to actually gain these gifts, right? So there was never this entitlement that was built into me. And if anything, I learned as time went along that if I wanted to get things that were outside the scope of what my parents had this, you know, prescribed in terms of the gifts and blessings they would afford me, I would then need to go about earning it, right? So the same context is what I'm wondering now if people who choose and seek out these roles in YouTube or TikTok or sugar babying, are they this are they the type of people who were when they were young didn't actively have to wait for certain things, didn't actively have to put in a lot of hard work and energy in order to get things, and are now choosing a lifestyle or vocation that really is highly stigmatized in order to basically live a lifestyle that they wouldn't be afforded otherwise. Now, I'm sure there's also the corollary that maybe they were always brought up in a period of having to wait or brought up in a period of always having to go above and beyond just to get the bare minimum. And now they're seeing the opportunity that exists by traversing these new non-traditional forms of, of making money 
and are seeing it as a way to basically break the cycle that they were forced into. There could be that too. But what's really interesting to me is the idea that there's so many ways to actively go about making money. There's so many ways to go about earning your place in society. But these non-traditional roles have been so stigmatized that, but nonetheless, it's not enough of a deterrent to put people off from pursuing them. So I wanted to really, you know, get all of you to kind of weigh in and think alongside me, even if you choose not to weigh in or, you know, DM me, whatever the case may be, about what do you think are the biggest push factors or pull factors, sorry, pull factors to jumping onto the sugar baby lifestyle, jumping onto Vine and YouTube, or, and what are the pull factors from, sorry, the push factors from away from, you know, the traditional, the traditional roles. Like, obviously, there are certain processes, a certain understanding of if you put the time and energy into, let's say, working at a traditional job in a company, over time, your pay will increase. Over time, as long as you do what you're supposed to do and, and raise your hand, you can be promoted, etc. But like the timeline is long, but the security along with that is usually far vast and more secure and well understood than pursuing, you know, being a sugar baby or pursuing being a Viner in YouTube. And furthermore, when you follow along this course and trajectory of working in a more traditional sense, more times than not, you have the luxury of relying on an unemployment insurance. You have the luxury of relying on a pension plan. Whereas when you're occupying any space like like we're mentioning, these non-traditional forms of employment, there's so many there's there's so much less security in there. You don't you don't have an unemployment insurance. There's no pension. You literally have to be very, very mindful of all the dollars you're making because you just don't know when they're going to stop. And what really makes really interesting to me too is for those people who decide to choose these non-traditional careers, when they get to a point of achieving a moderate level of success or consistency, when they begin to see their income plateau, what do you do then in order to make it, you know, go back up or or be sustainable? I think of especially focusing in on the YouTube uh, example, when you find out that week to week, no matter what type of content you're putting out, your numbers aren't going up, that means eventually the numbers are going to begin to decline. And if you don't have a big production company or a big studio backing you, how could you be so confident to know that these viewers are going to continue to just keep on coming back to your product? You're coming back to your YouTube channel. like. It's always been so intriguing to me that there's people who have chosen to choose you, who have chosen to choose, who have chosen YouTube as a as a, a new way of earning income. And if there's the history has shown and it's clear as day that people are only interested in certain types of cinema or media for a period of time. Right. Actors are not their characters, right? They don't, they're not sticking to one particular character for the entirety of their career. Some do, and they're able to translate that money into significant wealth gain. And then they are now translating that wealth into different means of generating their own wealth. That's a self-sustaining engine, so to speak, right? Like, and even then, a lot of them are still getting other opportunities outside of their acting role. 
But when you think about individuals who have chosen TikTok or YouTube, they are now looking at this as a way of a making a lot of money fast. But then so many of them, I'm not sure if they're thinking about or really hearing that it's a way of making that money very quickly. So the question becomes, when that money stops coming in, what is your plan? Because if there's one thing that's clear as day, not only are your, your viewers going to age out of your content at one point in time, you're no longer looking at it as an actual, you're not selling a product, you're selling yourself, right? And if you become, if you don't change and are no longer interesting, there's nothing you can do. And how often can you adjust and pivot and then recapture the same audience and same number of viewership that you had for your previous self. You know what I'm saying? Like if you are going to say to yourself, well, I can change and I can become a whole new person and rebrand. Well, that means you're going to more or less be at a different, you're going to be years in, have to realign, reformat, and then regrow a fan base. Like striking, lightning striking the same place twice is almost impossible. And not many people are able of they are able to sell themselves in one way, grow a grow a huge fan base, lose that fan base, and then come back as a completely different person and grow that fan base all over again. Especially only using the one one platform being YouTube. So it's always been intriguing to me that one I can I'm understanding a bit about how they're drawn to working on YouTube and making money because it seems easy. You only need to have a laptop and a computer. And with the platforms and the software provided now, it does not take a genius to edit a video. It's almost as easy. It's so intuitive. It's funny that, okay, I can see it being something you can do to make money on the side. I can see you using it as a way to break into different industries, potentially. But then that brings up the other impediment being the level of com competition out there. Like, you're talking to a podcaster. So obviously I understand that there's competition. It is, you have to fight with tooth and nail to gain viewership. I understand that. I'm, I'm in, a, in an industry where there's tens of millions of podcasts out there. On top of that, there's like hundreds of thousands of podcasts that are starting up every day. The difference is the longevity and the stick to Now, you can have an indie podcast like I have, have a a small core audience and try and grow that organically, or you can be a big superstar celebrity who's just doing a podcast because they feel like they can get some attention. But for the most part, you already know the celebrity who's doing a variety of things. That podcast is not going to last. They just don't have the bandwidth for it. And then you have true diehard podcasters who are spending the bulk of their energy dedicating to their podcast and growing their audience. And those you can have a bit more comfortability and know you can buy into it. But I digress. The main point I'm trying to make is there's competition out there. So not only do you have to worry about your fan base outgrowing your content, you have to worry about new uh, new influencers and new creators coming into the space and providing something novel and unique. So there's always this constant challenge, right? It's the same thing for sugar babies. There's always going to be a new yacht hunger, hotter sugar baby. So why would you feel like your position is safe? It's not. And then, unfortunately, not only do you have to worry about the competition entering the space, you have to also worry about the stigmatization that operates outside of the space. So even if you do fall from grace, even if you do find troubles and stumble along the way in this vocation, you do not have the security net that's afforded to you with the traditional lifestyle.
So again, I kind of go back to where do you develop the characteristics or the risk take taking matrix, the risk comfortability to go about choosing a vocation that has no security, is stigmatized, is looked down upon. And for the most part, there are no security nets that kind of can support you when things aren't really going well. It's just so intriguing to me that so many people are able to kind of take that leap of faith, go down this path when there's so many reasons to show you that it's not something you should invest in 100%. And on top of that, there are so many other industries that one can look to and see the challenges with putting your whole self and entire being into it. So I think this is probably a really opportune time for one of Yep, one of those. So get your beverages ready, hot or cold, soft or hard. Take a quick break if you need to, and you know, come right back. So, you know, once again, I'm trying to figure out whether it is that we as a society are giving too much popularity and sensationalizing the idea that if you are to choose these get rich quick schemes, you or schemes, sorry, I take that back. Get rich quick vocations, right? There, they are going to provide you with a lifestyle that you can't afford or or attain in any other means. So it, it's almost as if these vocations are afforded to any and anybody, and the barrier to entry is so low that it gives you this false sense of security that even if you're unable to maintain or you know live out the rest of your days occupying one vocation, there are so many other ones that you obviously would be able to find success in and can take advantage of. And therein lies a challenge. I think once again, when you've been, and this is me kind of psychoanalyzing the personality types who probably seek out these vocations, if you've been brought up underneath the behavior where all you've done is exist, essentially, you know, you've been treated like a royalty from the time you were born. Everything you wanted, you were given. Everything you wanted, you were handed to. You just spoke and it was there. You know, you had a, you had a silver spoon in your mouth. And then you grow up, you get older, and now you're realizing that in order to maintain that level of luxury, um, especially when your, your tastes have expanded and the, the, the price points on your tastes have expanded, in order to get them now, your parents or your caregivers are no longer able to satisfy that need. So not only are you unable to satisfy that need now because, you know, either you're too young, you haven't actually dedicated your time to a trade or a traditional t form of employment. So you don't make enough income or money. So this, you know, brass tacks to kind of provide that lifestyle for you. So you seek out the easiest way of doing so. What's the quickest, lowest barrier, fast and easy way of me getting that money? Hence where you have the YouTubes, the sugar babying, the um, TikTokers, all these things pop up. Now, I understand that there these platforms are sensations and sugar baby has a sensational aspect to it. For many people, even if they were the smartest person on the block, they wouldn't have been able to access the avails that have come with this lifestyle, right? You, you wouldn't be treated and given all these gifts and luxuries had it not been for your ability to wow and, and impress upon people how attractive you are, how likable you are, and whether it be the uh, you know, what's the seeking arrangements platform where you can meet a sugar daddy or a sugar person. And then same thing when you're thinking about YouTube or TikTok, whether it be these platforms you're accessing that allow you to 
present yourself and provide these these bites and snippets that have been curated to give the most punchy and best aspects of your personality to people. If not for those platforms, you probably wouldn't have been able to occupy a certain capacity or made the amount of made your way made a way for yourself to gain the affection that have now translated into these avails. So I can understand the the attraction to these roles. I can understand the the desire to seek them out and potentially access them. What I don't understand is this belief that you will be able to do this for the rest of your life, that you'll be able to succeed and maintain for the rest of your life. I don't believe enough people who are choosing this have built in the resiliency to understand how to pivot when things go astray or go awry. And then furthermore, they don't have the luxury of an unemployment insurance. So whose fault is it? Are we setting these people up for for failure? Are we not ensuring that when they do have missteps or when they do come across shortcomings, that they have no way, there's no way for society to protect them from falling, you know, through the cracks, so to speak? (laughs) Like, I know I'm talking about a small pocket of the population, and there are a lot of people who are working extremely hard who have invested time and energy and dedication into actually achieving their goals and and you know being and and occupying roles that have been traditionally recognized and they obviously deserve to have these these societal safety nets put in place to maintain in the event that they're unable to maintain for themselves right to to help them keep uh, keep their ship you know floating to keep their ship afloat for lack of a better term. It's just I'm thinking about these folks who haven't invested in pensions, who haven't invested in securing themselves in the event their YouTube fame wanes or their TikTok fame never takes off. It's like, who looks after them? Right? Who is it just do they just go back to their parents' basement and live there? Or is it that they've never left? And 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 for those who shoot to superstardom, is there any type of empathy or sympathy for those who eventually plummet because if you were even to take a break again during the true say podcast and look back to the youtubers you used to enjoy watching when you were 15 or 10 or 35 whenever you got introduced to youtube do you still go back to their content today if you were to even look back at some of your viewing history even if it was there or a video you liked 10 years ago five years ago whatever the case may be are they still the YouTuber of today making a lot of content you go back to, I'm going to have to guess and say no. Because the person who I was when I first started YouTube to the person who I am now to watching YouTube, much of it is just ritual, which I can't even, I don't have the time and energy to watch. But for the most part, it's become so much harder to find a YouTuber who consistently puts out content that brings me back to begin with. Now, I'm one of millions of people actively taking on YouTube, but just having that thought in my mind, meaning you actively always have to convert a viewer every time they add to the platform seems so daunting. And the same thing for a sugar baby. How, how, much, how much could you really rely on that one person consistently being interested in having a transactional relationship with you for the entirety of your life? Like, you, you're the product, which is you, your, your vanity is only going to wane day by day. And when that's what you're, when you're literally selling an expiring commodity, 
a commodity that's not going to get younger and more vital. And on top of that, not only are you going to, on a day-to-day basis, have to figure out ways to keep this client engaged, there are new competitors entering the market space every day who offer things that you will never be able to attain or reattain. So it's like just that fleeting nature of that these roles. I'm. It's so interesting to me what psychology goes into pursuing them. What was the impetus for even the growth of this behavior? Where did it stem? And I, it, I feel like it has to draw back to childhood or it has to draw back to your adolescent experience. And I introduce, you know, two juxtaposing experiences, one being you were privileged your entire life, silver spoon in your mouth. Now you've grown older and are un- incapable of figuring out how to fend for yourself. So the best way to do it is to try and find a way that can, you know, just justify your ends, whatever the means. So you just do something that's low barrier, quick access and will give you a quick return that allows you to amplify or continue to satisfy that need of having things or there's a lifestyle where you were consistently without and you work hard and you do so much and now you found a way to leverage some physical attribute or skill or or personal characteristic that has now for some reason gained you know, there's platforms now that will allow you to amplify their reach and now you're basically just accessing them and using them as a means to make up or fill a gap that's always been in your life so i mean both are completely justifiable and I'm not saying one is right and one is wrong or one is better and one is lesser than. The question just becomes like, what does one person go through to arrive at the conclusion that choosing to be a sugar baby is the way to go? And then I, I'm really intrigued to figure out is how many of these folks actively build in a security net for themselves. How many of these folks sorry, come up with a plan B? Right now, I understand you're a sugar baby, you're a YouTuber, you're a TikToker. That's what you want to do. That's plan A. And you know what they say? Plan B detracts from plan A. But the vast majority of people all have a plan B. They all have contingencies in place to the to the extent possible. So it's like now when you're when you're when you're jockeying those two ideas and you're thinking about people who've chosen between a traditional work lifestyle where they're just kind of in it to win it, you know, they go in day in, day out, make their money, come home, relax. That's something that just makes sense, right? And it's and I think, and even the fact that I'm saying that's a bit problematic because I've been institutionalized to believe that's just the way to go about earning an income and living your life, which is another question for another day. But then when you have these individuals who pursue these stigmatized, these frowned upon, these unknown and kind of kind of you know variable ways of going about earning an income there's so much love and joy when it goes well but i want to know how society interacts with them when it goes bad like i i and that's kind of the whole premise of this edition which is a great time for us to sum it up we're we're talking about individuals who choose a non-traditional way of life and Traditional sense is when you are a hardworking citizen, a good, productive member of society, There, the government, if you live in a, democ- in a democracy, has structures and systems in place to ensure that if you fall on hard times, there are measures by way of your tax dollars, by way of your employment insurance, by way of your pension, in place to, ca- to maintain and take care of you, right? 
when you think about people who still operate in the traditional society sense and are making boatloads of money in their own enterprises in their own businesses you know there's the idea that yes you're not a you're not working for an employer so i don't have to think of you you are an employer so you should take care of your own you know benefits your own pension your own you should have your your rainy day fund of your own but even them when they fall on hard times especially during this past year there has been government measures put in place to catch them before they fall through the cracks and it's just i've just been thinking more and more i wonder if that sugar baby is doing okay because you know last year they were traveling galore they were meeting their clients and they were going on these expeditions and having fun but they haven't been able to do that so you know have they been receiving unemployment have they been taking care of how do we know they haven't fallen through the cracks? And the same thing could be said for YouTubers who at one point in time were fantastic. They were the newest sensation on the net, right? They got viewership galore, millions of views, comments, likes, subscriptions, you name it. They were on top of the world. But then as their audience aged out, as their content got more and more stale, as we got introduced to new creators and new influencers, what came of them, right? Now there's a lucky few who tried to translate their comedy into syndicated shows. Some of them translated their comedy into movie careers. And for them, you, you, you know, all the power to you. But for the vast majority of them, they weren't able to do that. They weren't able to turn their 10 second Vine videos into a career. They weren't able to turn their 30 minute or not even 30 minute, one minute reels in, and translate it into a career. And the question becomes, what became of them and who is actually taking care of them? So nothing more than to really pose that idea. If that's a vocation that you've chosen, by all means, all the power to you. But I hope that this conversation is kind of helped stimulate some of that thinking that just because things are going great for you now, just because you found a way to make some money, don't lose sight that all good things typically come to an end. You need to figure out the best ways and put the mechanisms in place now to ensure that if there are any missteps, any shortcomings, or any unintended consequences or events that arise, you have contingencies in place to help you be prepared so that you can never be surprised. You will always have that stationary resources, whatever the case may be, to maintain your lifestyle and stay afloat. So... At the end of the day, there's no right or wrong. There's no one way to live your life, but be purposeful and thoughtful when making these decisions and understand what's pushing you to make these choices. So until next time, this is your guy, True Say. I'll see you here next week.